when you stress, you must rest. Like stress is not bad. Stress is good. In small doses, it stimulates growth. We need stress, but you can't have chronic stress without recovery. That's where the problem happens. And we can go and take vacations or we can go take breaks, but if we're not psychologically detached from our work, if we don't figure out a way to really psychologically detach, even if we are managing our time and everything and we're not at work, but we're still thinking about work, we're still gonna burn out. So one of the biggest predictors of burnout and prevention of burnout is how can you psychologically detach from work at times and then plug back in, and that is really hard. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome back to the Best Self Management Podcast. I'm Shane Metcalf. And I'm David Hassel. Really excited to welcome to our show today, Dr. Jacinta Jimenez. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Dr. Jacinta Jimenez, also known as Dr. J, is an award-winning psychologist and board-certified leadership coach with a 15-plus year career dedicated to the betterment of leaders. She's worked with individuals and top organizations in Silicon Valley and throughout the world. A graduate of Stanford University, Dr. J is a sought-after expert in bridging the fields of psychology and leadership. She contributes to national news and TV outlets, including CNN, HLN, Business Insider, Forbes, Fast Company, Oprah, and Bloomberg. Her forthcoming book, The Burnout Fix, covers the topic of resilience, sustainable success, and peak performance at work, and is set to be released by McGraw-Hill in 2021. Really good to have you on the show, Dr. Jacinta. Yes, I I can't wait to be here. I'm such a big fan of 15.5 and all that you're putting out in the world. We were having a really great conversation before we started recording about just the kind of eerie timing of writing this book about resilience. And you started writing this book in 2019, having no idea what was coming down the chute for 2020. And one of your interesting distinctions that you, that you mentioned to us is the distinction between agility and resilience and how as we move into this just mind-blowingly disruptive first year of the decade, the need for resilience and agility. And I'd love if you could just define for our listeners the, a little bit of how you think about resilience and how you think about agility. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing so much is people going, we need to be agile. We need to be agile. How do we help our people be agile? At the same time, there's this incredible need to counterbalance that with resilience. So I think of resilience as kind of like, I have two analogies, but I'll I'll stick to this one. It's like a seesaw Hmm. and you have adversity on one side and you have protective factors or coping techniques or resilience boosters on the other side. And the fulcrum, the middle point is different for every person based on their background, their predisposition, their proclivities, their psychology, but we have a lot of ability to influence that if we continue to put more protective factors so that the seesaw kind of airs on the side of resilience. But if we don't have 
that built in, that buffer. And we're not mm-hmm. actively contributing to that buffer, that side of the seesaw. And we just start to be agile, there can be really difficult repercussions. And the research shows that teams and, and individuals who just only lean into agility, which is important, um, without resilience, pay consequences. They are more likely to burn out. It's like going into like some kind of, let's say, you're snowboarding or doing some kind of extreme activity, but you don't have protective gear on. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. You need to have have both. And especially right now when we're in such uncertain volatile, complex, ambiguous times, it's just more now more than ever do we need to make sure that we're putting more and more into our, I call it your resilience piggy bank, where if you need to withdraw, you have some reserves in the bank to to withdraw from. What does it look like when you don't? How does burnout actually show up for these people in this day and age? What What are you seeing? Oh, burnout is, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. I've seen so many incredible people, like passionate, intelligent, smart, capable humans burn out or flounder along the way of trying to make an impact on this world. Mm-hmm. And it's not just getting tired. It's like severe emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion. Uh-huh. Um, and it shows up, the research shows up in three different ways. There's three core components of it. It has exhaustion. So mm-hmm. it's not just like I'm tired, but you can't, you get enough sleep, you try to like do your natural things that you usually do to bounce back and it's not happening for you. The next mm-hmm. one is cynicism where you used to love your work but now it's just like, oh my God, how do I get out of here? Let me look at the clock. Oh, my colleagues are talking too much. Everything's annoying. And these are people who used to love what they do and still do. It's just the burnout's kind of creating this like glasses or this lens like you're viewing the world through. And then the third one is inefficacy. So feeling like even though they're very capable people, feeling like they can't make progress and mm-hmm. feeling really ineffective. And what's interesting is people can have very different distinct burnout profiles. So someone can be really heavy in cynicism, whereas another person may be heavy in exhaustion. It shows up different in different people. And the, and mm-hmm. the really tough part about burnout, I think, is it's very insidious. Like It doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one day and you're burnt out. It slowly like chips away at you. And Christina Maslach, one of the foremost burnout researchers, she's at UC Berkeley, describes it as an erosion of the human soul. Um, It's really, it's yeah. And it's heartbreaking because right now we need leaders who are going to be doing really serious work, addressing like things like the social justice and racial justice movements and climate change. And that takes a toll. And we have to make sure that you know, that serious work doesn't rob us of our well-being and our health and our vitality. It's so interesting. I mean, you know, we at 15.5, I think we've had a very healthy culture, you know, kind of in the 99th percentile of organizational health and trust and what I thought was resilience. And 2020 has been very trying. You know, it is you know, we started the year off with this incredible retreat in Palm Springs and every year we bring everybody together and, you know, there's, we're all crying together and there's just these incredible peak experiences. And it's really just, I I had moments of like pinch myself. I can't believe we actually get to do this at work. We actually get to bring the level of authenticity and vulnerability and connection and truth telling and authentic life visioning into the mix. And it's just like, wow, we are at the top of the game. And that was in January. And then all of the the meat grinder of the first six months of this year. And there's definitely been, I think, people who have hit burnout. 
And I've had moments myself of being like, wow, I'm finding myself in that cynicism. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that I have the practices that I have to go hit the defrag the hard drive and go to the depth of my grief and cry and wail Mm -hmm. and be like, whoa, what is going on? I don't want this. This is not the company that I spent eight years trying to build. And then being able to move through that pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and so grateful that I can come out the other side stronger and have a little bit of that anti-fragility in my system. But it's still a mystery. How do I make that available to everybody in the company? Yeah. That's the really, that's my central question is how do we be more resilient as a company? Because I know that this next decade is not going to just be smooth sailing. It's like, Mm -mm. there's so many things that are converging that are going to test us again and again and again. Yes. And what a beautiful story. I mean, like just the contrast between like that high point at the retreat and then contrasting with like the, the really tough stuff too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just shows seriousness of what we're entering into. And I always say we're entering into this new world of work and life, but a lot of us are still hanging on to outdated formulas of what it takes to be resilient and successful, like sustain our success over the long haul. And I think a really big piece is that COVID is creating so much uncertainty. Like we don't really know, like usually when we're going through a hardship, we know like a middle beginning and end here, we really just don't know. And psychologically, our minds are programmed to hate uncertainty. Like it's bad for us for survival. Our DNA does not like it. It means like (laughs) we don't know the weather patterns. We don't know something could be creeping behind us and jump out and attack us and eat us or something else. And there's a really interesting study, like I'll pose it to the listeners, but um, option one is I can give you a shock right now. Or option two, I could give you a shock or I may not give you a shock the rest of the day. And what do you think most people pick? Take it right now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Option one. We really, really don't like uncertainty. Yeah. And so a big part of being resilient right now is doing things that we can to build up what psychologist Julian Rotter has coined as our internal locus of control. Mm -hmm. So things that we do have control over so we can create some sense of certainty so that we can stay stable and grounded while the world kind of of work and life continues to spin around us. So how do we get, so the the title of my book is The Burnout Fix, but it's a play on words. It's about a fixed set of core Mm. capabilities to Uh keep us stable and grounded while things just continue to spin around us because we can't control things that are outside of us, but we can control our words, our attitudes, our mindset, how we leverage leisure, how we secure support, how we evaluate our effort. And then I'll I'll stop talking about one other thing I wanted to say is related to this is I I do think there's beautiful one-off coping mechanisms, right? Like Mm -hmm. meditation and mindfulness. But I think for burnout, we need a really holistic integrated set. Uh So we need to think about how we pace ourselves for performance, like taking small micro behaviors to stretch ourselves. How are we mindful of what our mind is full of? Like, how do we take inventory of that? And how do we, I just mentioned this just a little bit ago, but leverage leisure, like actually the art 
the ancient wisdom of leisure, not, not compensatory or, you know, where we go out and drive or do extreme sports or spillover leisure where we lay on the couch and uh, scroll on our feed or something, but true replenishing leisure. How do we secure support, a diverse set of support? And then how do we evaluate our effort, like managing our energy, not just our time? So mm. if we can take all those things, and they sound complex, but we're built like to, to want to do these things. These are, yeah. these are things that we do, how we think, we feel, behave, act in life. So um, I'll stop there. I could keep going. <laughs> I want to talk directly to you listening in for just a moment. If you're enjoying these interviews, the concepts we discuss, and you're committed to equipping your managers to develop highly engaged and high-performing teams, there's some additional resources that we know can help. Access the forever free Best Self Management Certification at 15.5.com forward slash academy for core management skills that unfortunately are not taught in business school. Visit 15.5.com forward slash services to sign up for our manager accelerator program to reorient your managers around the essential skills needed to conduct effective one-on-ones, offer meaningful feedback, and coach their teams to greatness. If you want exceptional software that integrates beautifully with our education and training, visit 15.5.com today. Early on, I think I got really good at leisure. And of like, oh, cool, I'm good at leisure, not that good at work. Um, I wonder how this is going to work out for the rest of my life. But now, I, you know, as, as the career is kind of miraculously shaped up for me, I, I'm realizing how valuable the skill of leisure really is. I wouldn't be able to come back from that edge if I wasn't able to go replenish and have emotional renewal. A hundred percent. I always say to people, when you stress, you must rest. Like stress is not bad. Stress is good. In small doses, it stimulates growth. We need stress, but you can't have chronic stress without recovery. That's where the problem happens. And one of the biggest predictors of, we can go and take vacations or we can go take breaks, but if we're not psychologically detached from our work, if we don't figure out a way to really psychologically detach, even if we are managing our time and everything and we're not at work, but we're still thinking about work, we're still going to burn out. So one of the biggest predictors of burnout and prevention of burnout is how can you psychologically detach from work at times and then plug back in? And that is really hard. It's right hard. Now I, when, I actually just yeah. took two weeks of vacation. And, and Shane, it's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just need to break and detach. And we did have a few things that we needed to address uh, while I was away. On that note... I'm sorry, David. I know I'm going to let you jump in eventually, (laughs) but can you just talk about post-vacation blues a little bit? Because I actually, in this time, I found it really stressful to take more than a week off. And that on the other side, it's like, oh man, like it's so good to detach, but I don't come back renewed because I come back and it's actually overwhelming. And it's like, okay, I should just take four day weekends so I don't completely unscrew my head. And then have to spend a week screwing it back on. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. I don't think vacation necessarily, like, I think it's however you can best detach. Like, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. A long vacation may leave people, like, I have a lot of clients who talk about, like, the Sunday scaries, you know, where they're like, oh, gosh, I have to reopen up my laptop and see what's happening in there. I don't want to. But it really just depends on who you are. I, I don't think vacations are... You could take mini vacations. You can do four-day work weeks. Like, I mean, there's so much 
room we can play with, we don't have to look at it as just a black and white as long as we're psychologically detaching. And then the second part of that is just really believing that, yes, this was worthwhile. This was important. This was part of, I'm adding another thing into my resilience piggy bank that's building up my resilience buffer savings account. So I think also by really reminding yourself of that versus the loss or the costs of not being tied in to yeah. I've seen some really great memes circulating around the locus of control, you know, where people see like, oh, these are the things I can control. These are the things I can't. And almost universally, I see people being like, oh my God, that was so useful. Thank you so much for that. We even had some circulating on our own Slack. And also what you reminded me of is, is that old time phrase, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of uh, recovery or whatever it is, uh, you know, a pound of cure. But I know for myself, you know, I think in my life, I've often pushed to the point of exhaustion or burnout and haven't thought about investing in that prevention. Well, and I think, David, an interesting one on that is that your role as CEO, you, you're like, well, I want everyone else to rest, but I can't because mm-hmm. the survival of the company is on my shoulders. Yeah. I think a lot of leaders have a, their own version of that, of why they need to push and burn the candle at both ends. Right. So I have two questions uh, around that is, is one, like, how do you help somebody take it seriously beforehand when it doesn't feel like it's a problem yet? Right. Because you don't know you're going to burn out until you burn out. Yeah. Right. So had, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who are just in our culture supports burning a candle at both ends and driving really hard. Uh, you know, it rewards it in certain ways and it kind of creates, um, you know, not just an incentive, but celebration around that. And then once somebody does experience that burnout, how, how do people come back? Yeah. Yeah. You know, something I always say to people is the most important asset you have to make an impact on this world is you. Mm -hmm. And if you fail to invest in yourself, you run the risk of damaging. And I say this to CEOs too, the very tool you need to make the impact on this world Easier said than done because yeah. we live in a hustle culture. Like, yep. like it's a badge of honor. Productivity right. everywhere you look is productivity hacks, productivity stuff. And I'm not saying working hard or working smart aren't important, but we're missing a piece of the puzzle. We're missing these resiliency practices. So I, if I looked at it like a pie, I would say the bottom part of the pie that's missing is that resilience practice. It's not about one or the other. It's about kind of having all three and it is totally about prevention. Like I, I like the, I think it's John Kennedy said, the time to work on the roof is when it's sunny. Yeah. So it really isn't. And if you look at the research, so um, I think the research is what makes it really compelling. Past a certain threshold, working longer actually has diminishing returns. You actually don't do better work. It feels so counterintuitive though to these messages, these myths that we're always told, like the myth of the maverick, like you just go out and do things. It's not like little mini stretches, you know, people just get it right away or the myth of the solo success that you you can bootstrap yourself up, you know, or the myth of just always be hustling. Like we got to always be moving, be productive. And that resting and leisure is some kind of form of laziness when it's not. There's a reason like winter, we things go dormant in the winter. Why bears hibernate? We need to have that rest and recovery. Just like in sports, it's called sports psychology, oscillation. Mm-hmm. Like you need to have recovery days. Otherwise you're overtraining your muscles. Like it just has diminishing returns past a certain threshold. Yeah. It's so hard though. 
requires a, a major mindset shift, really. And I think yes. it's a, like a major cultural mindset shift is, is needed. It does require a hundred percent, like a huge change in mindset at a cultural level. Mm-hmm. And- well, and it's interesting, the opportunity that COVID provides. And of course, there's, there's so much suffering that's happening right now because of the pandemic. And there's so much opportunity as well. When's the last time any of us were on a plane? And, you know, I was flying three to four times a month before January. And then my wife and I had a child and then I was on paternity leave and then the world shuts down. And, you know, David, I remember how burnt out from travel you were. Mm -hmm. And this opportunity to actually sink in Mm -hmm. and slow down and stop all the everywhere, but also, you know, still have the company run. And I think that's what's amazing is that the world's realizing there are functions of the economy, and of course, not all of it, that can actually operate virtually. Mm -hmm. And so my question for you is, how do we, we need to make that mindset shift in terms of how we design the cultures of our business, where we reward leisure, we reward rest, and also be very agile because we have a business to run in and it is the stakes are higher than they've ever been. And so how do we accomplish agility and resilience? And then we create that as a cultural environment of the company. But then the individual has their 100% accountability that they actually do this because we can't we can't force our employees to Mm-mm. get good at leisure. We can yeah. provide resources and tools So how do you see that balance of the organization creating the opportunity and the permission, but also the individual actually taking us up on that? Yeah, no, such a beautiful question. And I just appreciate that you're asking that question because there's a lot of misunderstanding about burnout that it's a problem of the individual Mm. when it's, it's everything. You can't take a human out of the system that they operate in, nor can you look at the system without looking at the individual humans that make up the system. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a two-way street. So setting up conditions that really allow for resilience and prevention of burnout. And then also that set up the individual for their own accountability. Where I have a dream where managers check in on these like kind of five areas of resilience frequently. Go, how are you not just how's your well-being, but How's your, how's your thinking right now? Or how are you leveraging leisure? Or how are you securing support? But at an organizational level, I've come up with these ABCs of like agile and resilient cultures. And the first one is agency. So fostering Mm -hmm. autonomy, giving them as much opportunity to set up, you know, workload, work streams, everything as much as possible. Again, that creates certainty for them. The more you can step away from micromanaging, the more you're going to avoid learn helplessness. We all know that, but just really fostering that personal and professional development and also allowing them to feel like they have ownership and co-creation of deliverables and making sure that workload and things balance. The B is benevolence. Do no harm. Just do no harm first. People think survival of the fittest was what Darwin talked about, but if you dig into the research, it's really about survival of the kindness. Oh, of kindness. Oh, interesting. Wow. I've always heard it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the most adaptive. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's a research out of uh, UCLA um, looking through, and it's survival of the kindness. Really? That, that kindness can really serve an organization, especially compassion, because compassion mm. is empathy and action. So doing compassionate things for people, but also just, you know, fostering a sense of uh, equity, right? Making sure that, that people of color are getting like the same opportunities and promotions and, and salary transparency and all of these things just to do mm. no harm, which is easier said than done. And then the yeah. C, so that's the B, and then the C is community. So looking at how do you bolster belonging and inclusions, conditions for psychological safety, and just caring for your, like, it just makes me think back to your uh, beautiful image of your retreat, just as people, they're humans, you know, uh, first and foremost. And so seeing them as that first before capital or labor. It sounds simple, but there's so many nuances. And, and, And the intersection of the ABC is where you can have agility and internal locus of control, but you can also have resilience as well. So you're familiar with our product and the ability yeah. to ask questions on a weekly basis to engage in reflection and prospection. And so one of the things that we've started playing around with is asking our guests of, okay, what questions should we ask our own team in 15.5? And so I'd love if you're down to do like a little bit of like real-time question strategy of what questions could we, you know, that call it, say, uh, four questions to ask over the next month. What questions do you think our team and all the teams out there listening to this should be asking their people right now? Oh, man, that's, that's a good question and a tough <laughs> question. Um, wow. I would say... It better be brilliant. I'm, I'm counting on you. <laughs> I I think the first one I would ask is, you know, if everyone knew this analogy of the resilience piggy bank I'm talking about, a seesaw is is just how are you taking inventory of your resilience piggy bank? Like how much Mm. reserves do we have in there? It sounds funny, but it's like looking at your resilience as like a profit and loss um, for yourself or for your team. And how are you tracking that right now more than ever? Because you really, we really need to be tracking it, just like we track like our steps on Fitbit and things. We need to be tracking how we are taking care of ourselves psychologically on a weekly basis. So that would be the first one is that. I think the second one I would pick would be, how are you experimenting with psychological detachment? It would be really fun, like, you know... I always believe in like teams starting off with icebreakers or something, especially remote teams, right? To build, yep. to make up for a water cooler chat time that's missed. Um, but, you know, sitting down and going, how, what have people figured out? Like, let's work together to figure this out. Like, how are you doing it? How are you figuring out? And so crowdsourcing solutions for psychological detachment since there's not one magic bullet for that. Well, and especially that one's so powerful because now that we're all working from home, I think people that haven't been working from home, it's it's a really weak muscle to separate our work from our home. And so all of a sudden it's like, are we working from home or are we living at work? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I love that. The necessity of boundaries so that we have our like productive time and then we have our sacred time. We have our life that exists outside. And so psychological detachment from work is how you phrase that? Yeah, yeah. But it's totally, it's about the boundary, mm-hmm. you know? And, and a great way I work with people to do that is like figuring out what your values are. Like I value X, so I need this, which means I will do this and I won't do that 
during these times. So it's not just what I won't do, but it's also boundaries come down to what you will do too. Like, what are you willing to do? So you know both sides um, really clearly. But you're so right. I love what you said about, are we living at work? And not just at work, but at work during a pandemic. Like this is, it's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's unprecedented. Well, that's the interesting thing about, you know, the fact that we, you know, a lot of people aren't traveling. I'm not traveling. I used to be on planes every other week. But, uh, you know, prior to this vacation and now that I'm back, I was even saying the time from March until like that that first three months of COVID, I was working harder and longer than I had prior. And I think a lot of people were combined with the additional stress and things that were needed from a leadership capacity, but, but in all roles. And I think, you know, Shane, we've heard that from our employees about feeling like, there could be signs of burnout, even though we don't have all these other external things. And I think that probably that emotional compounding on top of, you know, the physical exertion is where things can get a little tricky. Yeah, I appreciate that so much because it makes me think about, you know, what burnout comes from really is when the requirements of our work mismatch with our capacities as a human. Right. Right. The research has found like six mismatches, like workload, low levels of job control, insufficient reward, low social support, absence of fairness and conflict and values. But mm. it can be a combination of all those things. But how do we make sure we're balancing that out? It, it's so easy, like you're saying, like to just jump on the plane and keep going and not have that formal check-in to see like, mm-hmm. how much am I in the, in the red here? with resilient stuff. Right. And and I think that that then gets kind of translated into, okay, well, work longer hours and then Mm -hmm. binge on Netflix and eat a bunch of sugar, you know, and just be on my phone. I mean, I've seen my screen time that report, you know, that, that Apple sends Uh you. And sometimes it's like, oh God, that's not good. Like I should not spend that much time on my phone. Yes. And, and so they, it's so easy to transfer our addiction to the hustle and bustle from the outside world into just uh, digital t- addiction at home instead of actually turning the phone off and getting outside. Like I love when I go camping and I don't have service. It's like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Because it <laughs> right. forces my hand. And sometimes yeah. I, I don't have enough strength to just let it go. And so I need to literally have no service to not be on my phone. Right. How yeah. do you then, like for the, you know, the type A people out there who are like, okay, another thing to put on the to-do list. Resilience, <laughs> I've got to do this. I've got to add these 10 things to my Rest, schedule. Leisure, like, leisure, yes, leisure. Yes, that's exactly right. Right. So how do you, how do you actually get people who aren't brought up in a culture of the art of leisure to understand what that even means? Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a great Great question. And it's so common, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to win at leisure, <laughs> you know, right, and, exactly. and it's great, but I think it's, it's a micro doses of leisure mm. throughout the day versus trying huh. to do one huge overhaul. But I, I, Shane, I'm the same as you. I got to go camping. Like I got to like go out away, but I will prescribe clients. I'll be like, I'm giving you nature pills. Like you're going to go out like, and you're going to take this meeting from like, and they're like, we're there's no trees in the city. I'm like, we're gonna, you're gonna have to discover some nature around, you know. And Glen they, Park Canyon is amazing, and you yeah. have trail service there. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
Um, and really, we were made to be in nature, like physiologically made. We spent, if you think about human evolution, we spent like 99.9% of our time as beings in nature, but we're moving towards like urbanization. And it's really scary to see how much people aren't spending outside. I think with COVID, this has changed a bit where people can't go to malls or can't go inside, but we're commuting in cars, we're flying in planes, we're going to the movies, we're going, like everything's indoors. So to commune with nature, even on micro levels, and, and the research shows that 20 minutes can decrease, you know, 30 ideally, and just in nature, really being with it, not just like conquering, because I'm someone who used to um, cycle like 40 miles. I like extreme sports. So snowboard yeah. in New Zealand and dive under K's in Belize and stuff. And I, and I got sick, really sick at one point and had to like really stop everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, like so humbled. I'm like, who am I and how do I commune with nature? And instead I found a park near my house and I'd go to the park and I was like, oh my gosh, like as sad as this is to say, it's the first time I really sat and listened to the birds chirp and and smelling the soil and putting my feet in this grass and going, oh, this is how I need to commune with nature. There's other ways, it's fun, but it's not the same as just sitting really Mm. peacefully in that space. And having those things stripped away really made it, and I think that's what's happening for a lot of us with COVID. It's it's taking away all these things, but we're getting down, we're stripping down to that core essence of what really can replenish us. And and hopefully we can tap into old world, you know, leisure and ancient wisdom of leisure as well. Okay, so how's your resilience bank doing? No, oh, no, no, oh. the the questions. Oh, you're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely go there. Um, I'd love to know, you know, sometimes we teach what we need, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, how, how's your Resilience Bank doing with the shared context of what Resilience Bank is and kind of the emotional bank accounts we all have? How are you experimenting with psychological detachment from work? Yes. All right, two more? We got two more? Two more. I think the other thing is, is just how are you you know, building out your internal locus of control. Mm. So thinking about what pieces do I have under my control and identifying the things that really resonate with you. So is that, you know, how I think? Is it tending to how, you know, what be, I always say being mindful of what your mind is full of. So whether that's like through mindfulness or, or cognitive reframing or different techniques for that, whether it is through the art of leveraging leisure or is it securing support? Is it through how you're managing or thinking about your emotions? So I tell people to write these down and put them on your mirror so that you see them every morning. So you're reminded of the things in life that are certain that you do have control over. Cause geez, when you turn on the news or you interact with people, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. And so to have those reminders of the things that can te- keep you fixed and steady in a world that is just changing dramatically is really, really powerful. So good. And one more to finish off the month. Uh, I think I'll set these up as a cue for the month of September. So we got one more. Okay. The last one. This is good. I- You're just do- I'm just like making other people do my job. <laughs> you can take or leave these. I don't, I don't know. But uh, I think the final one would be, I think it's so important. We were talking about this right before we actually recorded the podcast when we were warming up, but um, is progress. Like looking mm. back, like take inventory. What have you done so far that you're proud of? that you've made it through, what has worked for you in the past, when you've had maximum resilience or you feel really resilient and agile, what were the ingredients? What was that? And and how do you reflect on that and go, wow, you know, I think humans are so resilient, even in this really 
while time we are inherently resilient, it's, it's what allowed us to sur- we've survived for centuries. So reminding ourselves of those pieces and places and time in our past where we have done well and 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 think of that progress, I think can go go really far mm-hmm. as well. I mean, it's so powerful just to even put attention on that because I think that in these times, it's almost there's almost a guilt to track the progress. Mm-hmm. Of, oh no, I can't I can't look at the positive things that are happening because there's so much suffering and strife in the world. And I think that that's I know for myself that's not a productive way to contribute to both myself, my community, my friends, my business. But that if I actually do track the progress, I'm like, "Oh wow. Things are moving. Change is not to always be afraid of." change can be embraced actually. Mm. And that's what's happening. We're just going through a bunch of change and it provides an opportunity for reinvention at all levels of our life, including maybe we get more Americans out into nature. You know, I mean, it's so cool that this is the year of the great American road trip. I mean, there's downsides to that (laughs) as well. Uh, You know, it's kind of somewhat controversial, but more time in nature is happening because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's such an opportunity for huge societal mind shifts, you know, and people want more from their work. If you look at like recent Deloitte studies, people want yeah. more well-being. Where you spend most of your time is how you spend your life. And people, you know, want to have a work and life that really invests in them as full humans. So Yeah. And what I think is so, you know, I mean one of the one of the positive benefits because nobody asked for this situation. There's been a lot of tragedy and a lot of strife. But, you know, as I speak to more and more HR leaders, I consistently hear them say that they're now taking on responsibility, more responsibility than ever for the emotional, psychological well-being of their people. And that is huge. And I think if that, you know, I think we may be forced into doing that right now, but there's a new high watermark that I'm excited about the future of work as a result because I you know, the more we lean into that and we start thinking holistically about our people, not as assets or resources or line items in a spreadsheet, you know, there's so much more possible. I mean, that's what our whole company's about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, I am so excited about this. Like you can't take away the person you're coming to work. You don't just leave who you are at the doorstep when you exactly. go into work and Hey, there is no doorstep. There is no glory line. We're here. We're at work yeah. um, in our homes right now. And so looking at people as whole people and looking at the well, mental well-being and resilience of people, is, it, it's just bound to have tremendous outcomes for business too. So. Yeah. I'm so excited about your book. Um, it's not coming out till next April. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is there somewhere people can find more information on these principles and, and things that you're discussing now, or we have to wait till next April? What are we, what, what's the, uh, what yeah, can we share with you can, it comes, yeah, it'll come out in April pre-order um, in November, but you can go to my website, theburnoutfixbook.com uh-huh. and um, sign up for any updates and things that I'll be posting about this content. I'm so hopeful that it will help a lot of people, a lot of organizations, and it's it's been a labor of love. It has a tremendous amount of research, but also really personal stories and coaching stories as well, dialogue. So I think I think it'll resonate with lots of folks. So um, yeah, theburnoutfixbook.com. So good. So if you have a magic wand and you can make a kind of a shift in universal company culture, you know, all companies kind of uh, make this little tweak, what would you shift? 
Oh man, Shane, that's a beautiful a question. Power. I'm like, oh my gosh, that wand, give it to me. <laughs> um, I would say I would just love for organizations to really lean into taking on responsibility for the mental and emotional well-being of their people mm-hmm. through agency, you know, benevolence and community. And really designing for that. Go through your employee experience. Look at where these things exist or may have holes and 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 work with your people to figure out solutions to plug those holes and co-create. I think the world of work will be better off. And I think we'll have humans who can make an impact on the world, sustain themselves so they can actually do that work that they set out to do instead of get burned out along the way, which is such a tragedy. We need We need people doing great things in the world. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. J. Really great to connect and look forward to more. This was so much fun. Thank you both so much for what you're doing and just such a pleasure connecting with people who who geek out on this stuff as well. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative, to our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 15.5.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.